Oh, real quick. I got an idea. Sure. This might be a terrible idea. For episode 45, we got to drink Colt 45s during the recording. All right. Sounds good. I've never had one before. Me, I don't know what they taste either. like. I don't know what it's they a, taste like. It seems like a good idea, though. kind of scared. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. 44. Episode number 44. You, you got any good Got any good 44s? I got nothing for 44. Who, who, who's a good football player with a number 44? Sione Taki Taki. <laughs> I knew you had one of those ready. Yep, that's about all I got. Uh, and he might get cut this year. Wasn't Dallas Clark 44? Probably. That's, not, I... that's more of a fullback number. That's not really a tight end number, is it? I guess it could be. I don't know. Did he play? He played for the Colts. Colts, right? Yeah. Oh my God, that was maybe, way back. Maybe I, I feel like I'm completely off, but for some reason I feel like Dallas Clark's number was 44. Well, but now I'm probably wrong. I gotta check it real quick. This Go might ahead. be getting cut. Go ahead. It was. He was 44. Good job. So I guess a tight end could probably wear that too. Yeah. Tight end and fullback sure. is basically the same position at this point. So Dallas Clark, if you're if you're out there listening to 4:30 in the morning, this episode is dedicated to you. Yes, Dallas Clark. Uh, see, he's not in the Hall of Fame, is he? I feel like he should be. He's 11 good. seasons, first team All Pro in 2009. That's pretty good no he's not in the hall of fame 53 receiving touchdowns though that's pretty good that's pretty good 505 receptions so one out of every 10 catches he made went for a touchdown that's pretty damn good. that's pretty good 5665 receiving yards not bad 11 seasons most of that with the colts he played one year with the buccaneers and one year with the ravens first round pick out of iowa no shit how many more first round picks out of iowa can you name <laughs> none tristan Wirfs. that's the only one i know he's good brandon scherf they, they make Wirfs is the tackle right Wirfs is a tackle for the buccaneers yeah He's phenomenal, and he's only—it's only his second year, right? Yeah, yeah. He was—he was—he's—he's he's really good. And Brandon Scherf went to Iowa as well. He mm. plays for the Washington football team right now. Well, there are a bunch of Cornhuskers out there. Man. Those Cornhuskers—they can block. <laughs> Anyways, I'll get started with the news, I guess, this week. So my first one comes out of Vice.com, mm. but this kind of got reported at different in different places. Uh, passengers and military jets both report seeing a UFO over eastern Canada. Mm. A July 30th report describes a bright green flying object that flew into a cloud then disappeared now this is according to vice.com which is definitely the best source that we're going to cover sure on the show so basically royal dutch airlines klm passenger flight number 618 which was flying from boston to amsterdam it was flying over the saint Lawrence seaway and so were some canadian transport canadian military transport vehicles including flight cfc 4003 in case that helps anybody out there mm. they both reported this object flying above the St. Lawrence Seaway, which is between Quebec and Newfoundland. That's really all the information that's available. Hmm. But it is in the same general vicinity as that legless guy, Jerome of Sandy Cove that you talked about last week. Now, yeah. he was in Nova Scotia, but it's the same sure. same general area. Right. And it's also the same general area that you would find the Northwest Passage in. Uh, kind of, sort of. Those could have been the aliens that amputated his legs. They could have been. And now, the Canadian government doesn't claim to collect UFO activity, but I don't think that's true. Now, they say that they don't collect reports on this type of shit. I'm going to say it's not true, and that is because of this other guy I want to talk about, who used to be the Canadian former defense minister named Paul Hellyer. Mm-hmm. And my second news story is that he passed away this week, Paul oh, Hellyer. Shit. He died at the age of 98 on August 8th. So he had he lived a very long life. Man. So he was a public servant in Canada. He served uh, as defense minister in the 60s, as minister of transportation at one point. He was in the cabinet. He served different functions throughout mostly the 60s. Okay. However, he's prominent because later 
later in life, he started to come forward and talk about extraterrestrial technology and his opinions on it. And in 2014, he came out and said that, now bear in mind, he was like 93 years old or 90 something at that point, 91 maybe. He said that he believes that up to three or four different alien species have been in contact with governments across the world Mm. and that they've been in regular contact for thousands of years. So Canada's saying that they don't collect information, but one of their former ministers of defense, which is their version of the Secretary of Defense. So he said this about five, six years ago? Yes. Okay. Seven or eight years ago or something like that. 2014, I guess, would be seven, seven years ago by now. Okay. So he came out and said that. Now, this is a high-ranking government official. This isn't some, some guy. Joe Schmo. This is their version of the Secretary of Defense up there. And Canada, uh, Canada, Canada has a big military. It's not like it's a small military force. Sure. So this guy was running the show back in the 60s, and he's going to come out and say that. That To me, that's crazy that he came out and said it. And it's sad that he died, but he was saying this stuff regularly. Now, they don't talk about it a whole lot. I had to kind of dig to find this kind of stuff. But he's done speeches and press conferences that you're going to have a hard time finding, but they're out there. Mm-hmm. Where he details what he knew back then and what he knows now and what he's had information on. And what's funny, too, is when you listen to him speak a little bit, he kind of plays in line with that Alien Races book that I talked about on that one episode. Sure. Like, the numbers of species and the statistics that he gives are similar to He's what probably got a copy of the book. Are <laughs> probably, yeah. It's similar to what they talk about in that book. But that that's kind of my lead-in news story, my tie-in news story, I guess, is that Paul Hellyer died. But Canada's been, they've been on it. Even though they're going to say that they're not on it, there's a guy that was part of the government He's on it. that was on it, so... Anyways, that's my news story. Another UFO scene in Canada. They're going to say that they don't collect information on this. They definitely do. All the major countries do. All the developed countries do. Of course, the Trudeau regime isn't going to admit that because they got to be boging whatever the cool, popular, whatever is. Sure. That's all that that guy does. So That was a good one, though. Anyways, that's it's, what it's I got. too for bad it. he died. It is too bad, but 98, that's a long life. Is that, the, is that the first and only time he said any, that guy has said anything about UFOs? He's made different contact, comments about that over, of mostly in the, in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I guess he's been well out of the game by then sure but it has been a regular thing and i think he even wrote a book about it hmm. so have to look at him up. there is a lot of information paul hellyer h-e-l-l-y-e-r for any of you listeners out there that want to listen or want to research that so that, that's that news story that's all i got for that one so this one's not as cool but it's kind of oh. funny this is from mirror.co.uk a man went to kfc and heard his own voice talking back to him through the drive through machine <laughs> okay <laughs> Ryan Evans had a Twilight Zone moment when he went to his local restaurant in Greensboro, Australia, made a TikTok video of the experience. As he arrives at the machine, he hears a pre-recorded message say, Welcome to KFC Greensboro. When you're ready to place your order, Ryan pauses for a second, then joins in. He sounds exactly the same as the recording. That's because he used to work at that restaurant and recorded the message, and the restaurant hadn't changed it in 14 years. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Do you imagine going up to McDonald's and hear your voice? Come yeah, that, that's funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you know what would be funny is if is if Josh would hear his voice. Oh going my up god! To the... <laughs> I don't know if those speakers it would, just would be yell able at him. To, if those speakers would be able to handle blasting that out. That's so funny. But that's that's basically that the was a new story. Kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> they had 14 years to swap that out, and they never did. Right. You ever like think about the places that you used to work? Like the one store I used to work in. That's still like a store. You can still go there. Yeah. I always wondered if all the little shit that I hid in a receiving area is maybe still still back <laughs> you there. You should go check it out. Like, we had, like, a Hall of Fame hidden on one of the air ducts. That's funny. Where we put everybody's business card as they retired or as they left the store. Mm. We had, like, a little Hall of Fame set up. Right. 
I wonder if that's still there. Could be. Or I wonder if some other idiot found it. I was just like, what is this nonsense? Somebody that didn't know any of us. That's funny. It's always funny to think about how it's the same spot, but like different casts of people over years are doing the same type of shit over and over again. But it's like, no, I wouldn't know anyway that we're there now. Right. But they're all doing the same shit that I used to do, you know? Crazy. Anyways, my next one. This one comes from one of our favorite websites ever, TotalProSports.com. Okay. Do you got this one? No. China alters. <laughs> Olympic medal count to unofficially claim gold medal lead over United States of America. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. I don't know about you. Did you watch any of the Olympics this year? Not really, no. I didn't watch one minute of any of it. I couldn't do it. I watched I watched some of the um, the wrestling highlights on Facebook. Sure. Because I'm into wrestling. Okay. And I, I saw some of the track highlights. But other than that, I didn't watch any of it. Yeah, I didn't watch any of it either. But as to be expected, the United States did the best, as they should, because the United States was the best. They took home 39 gold medals, and they earned the most medals overall i think they won and ev- led in every medal category so they had the most they gold did. the most silver the most bronze which is what you should expect however china came in with 38 they were close yeah they were they were actually winning the entire time and yeah. then it was the it was wrestling and uh, like volleyball or something yeah, volleyball came through in the end and just passed them so the united states did the best now china you know they have their state-run media mm-hmm. the numbers didn't really matter to china's state-run media because when they posted the medal count on their state-run platforms they posted that China had earned 42 gold medals, <laughs> despite the fact that they'd only earned 38. On their state-run media, they claimed the gold medals earned by the National Olympic Committee, which was on the screen as NOC, which would be Chinese Taipei, who had to compete under the term the National Olympic Committee because of the whole Taiwan thing. But it's essentially Taiwan, and I guess Hong Kong athletes compete for Chinese Taipei right now for some reason. So China decided to claim Taiwan's medals. Of course. Of course. Because of the whole one Chinese party yeah. state thing. Sure. And they also claim like Macau or something or one of the, well, there's another island country out there that they claim the medals for because apparently China thinks that they still own Taiwan, which if you study the history of that, I don't know how, con- I don't know if this is too controversial for the show or not. Taiwan is its own country. They've been doing their own thing. They got their own money yeah. for however long. Right. They're just pissed off that the existence of Taiwan puts in the question the legitimacy of the communist Chinese state. Yeah. Because there was a whole civil war. The only reason why the communists won is they were backed by other communists states right and taiwan didn't have the backing that they could have had that they should have had so that's a new story china is claiming taiwan's olympic medals for themselves <laughs> but don't be deterred usa is still number one best country on the earth damn right but that's all i got for that new story so nice all right well i have one more this is another kind of funny one so this is another one from mirror.co.uk okay mom claims speed of aggressive Aldi cashier left her crying and shaking. Mom says she was left in tears while shopping at Aldi after a confrontation with the cashier over the speed of the scanning. Nicola Fuller was shopping with her three young children when she became embroiled in a tense discussion with the disgracefully rude staff member. She told Testside Live she was left traumatized by his aggressive approach and ferocious speed of the conveyor belts while checking out. The loyal Aldi customer said the worker refused to slow down his scanning, even as food fell from the allocated packing area onto the floor like a slot machine. (laughs) 35-year-old says customers in the Geisboro store, North York's, were gawping at the cashier continuing to scan, piling the food high. Eventually, huge towers of products piled up as Nicola frantically reached to pack her bags as quickly as possible. Oh my god. He could see my struggle. When the tin can finally fell, I began crying and shaking. I knelt to the floor and picked up the food while simultaneously trying to watch my children. I asked the cashier to please stop scanning through more food and that it felt like he was throwing items at me. But Nicola says she refused received a blunt and aggressive response as the cashier accused her of not packing quickly enough and dubbed her a liar for her 
accusations. Nicola said another Aldi worker then took over and defused the tense situation. That's pretty funny. So That's the guy, ridiculous. The guy was doing it so fast that she couldn't pack her food quick enough, <laughs> and it began piling up and falling on the floor, and the guy just didn't give a damn. That's hilarious. <laughs> it reminds me of the I Love Lucy thing with the chocolate. Yes. That's what I was thinking of when I was listening to that one. That's funny. Like, when I first read it, I could just, like, picture everything happening in my mind. It was just so funny. <laughs> yeah. When I was picturing it. He's yeah. got everyone just looking looking at this scene. This woman's just crying, and she's trying to pick up all her shit. And the guy's just throwing stuff at her, basically. Oh, it's funny. I like it. I like aggressive cashiers, you know. Me too. I'd rather have somebody a little bit assertive up there. Just get it done, get it done, get the scan, get it packed, take your card. Yeah. Get a receipt. Have a nice day. And Aldi does it right. Sure. Aldi has the whole grocery store system down to a T. Better than anybody else. That's good. Oh, I mean, that's logistics right there. That's what I like to see. Yeah. They don't bag your shit. It's like you bag your shit yourself. Perfect. It, it's so much quicker. Uh, so people don't leave their carts all over the place and running and the carts flying through the parking lot. You have to rent your cart and you get your shit back, yeah. quarter back, but yep. it makes you put it away so they don't have to pay other people to put carts away. Yep. Like, they're so smart. And we, we've talked about this before on the show. Yeah, we did. But Go ahead. Anyways, are we ready for our main topic? <laughs> Do you have any more news? No, I'm all set. What is the main topic today, sir? So, this is definitely Pat's episode. Oh, God. In his own definition. We are doing bizarre sports moments. Yep. Crazy shit that's happened in sports. Yeah, stories, moments, events, timelines, career paths. That's all, all the type of shit that I got. Yeah, Pat. Pat's going to get in-depth with this. Yeah, I've got I've got a bunch of ridiculous ones. And this is one <laughs> that we could definitely do a multi-series sure. episode. Because there's oh, so definitely. much that I want to talk about that I can't even get in. Like, the one I'm not going to get in today is 10 Cent Beer Night. We're back in the, I think it was in the... 70s the indians were trying to sell tickets and they decided to do a 10 cent beer night and it went about as well as you'd expect a cleveland indians game to go when they were selling beers for a dime Anyways, I'm not going to get into that one today, but sure. I've got so many. And there's another ones that I don't, I'm not going to get into, like the Tanya Harding thing I'm not going to get into. Sure. Or Malice at the Palace. Did you see that documentary on Netflix, the Malice at the Palace documentary? Uh-huh. It just it just hit this week. I, I haven't watched seen it, it yet. Because I remember that live. I was a big Pistons fan back then, so mm-hmm. I remember that whole thing live. That was ridiculous. And then we went to the game, and we, we were there where it happened, and we saw Ron Artest play, like 12 right. years after the fact. Right. So that was kind of crazy. That was cool. That was cool. Saw Kobe, too. That was we awesome. We did. It was, that was a great game. And Coolio. Fucking Coolio. Yeah, but so we were there. We were kind of... Yeah, that was fun. And then... uh there were some other big ones that I didn't want to get into because there's a lot of them out there. Like, as sports, if you're a sports fan, there's so much entertaining shit to read about. Definitely. If you know where to look. Definitely. Now, do you want to get started with this one or do you want me to get started? I don't know if I'm going to do my first one. Maybe I'll save it. It's kind of well known. So, but I want to do this one that I didn't know about. Um, now, you probably won't like this because you're a Browns fan. Oh, God. But basically, the, the Steelers' entire franchise was saved by Art Rooney Jr. in the 30s. Yeah. Did you ever hear about this? Yeah. You have? Yeah, where they bought the team. Well, no, kind of. Well, so Art Rooney Jr. saved the Steelers franchise basically from two lucky days at the races. Yes, I did see this one. Did yep. you see this yep. one? This is crazy. So in the 1930s, the Steelers were actually called the Pirates. That was before the, the baseball team took the Pirates name. Sure. And they never had a winning season during the 30s. They were really bad. Yep. That was like the glory days for like the Lions and Browns. The Browns' glory days were in the 50s. Was that the 50s? Excuse me. Or, okay. And they won the they last. Don't, they don't go back that far. They won the last championship before the Super Bowl 
Bowl became a thing. So okay, but looks like the glory days might be coming. Some new glory days for the Browns. They're coming. They're, They're coming. They might Get be ready. coming. Anyways, so Rooney, Rooney's talent on the track basically saved the franchise. He picked as many as eleven straight wins during two days, two days of races, and the accurate amount isn't really known. But they, but in the in an autobiography, um, says uh, he made about two hundred three three over three hundred eighty thousand uh, during those two days. Okay, and for how bad the team was, that money that he made basically kept the team afloat for that period. Yeah, I saw and that. That's funny. That's pretty. That's pretty crazy because they turned into like you know one of the, a great franchise, yeah. long franchise, and those two days saved everything. Yeah, it, it's crazy how little decisions just make big impacts. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? and that's crazy that back then an entire franchise could be saved by <laughs> right. betting at the horse track. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, th- th- and that's from the sportster.com So that sure. was that was a that was a little interesting piece. I never knew that. How the times have changed. Definitely, it's not not something you'd see today. Definitely not. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the Browns owner was scamming truck drivers because he owns <laughs> Pilot Flying J, the truck stop company, mm. and he had this whole rebate scam going on. And they've got tapes. Like the FBI has tapes of him, like flat out. Like he was like in the meetings telling his executives to scam these guys. No shit. Now, Ugh. if I were the leader, I would force him to sell and sell it to the city and have the city run it like the Packers do yeah. where they sell ownership shares to fans. Yeah. That's how you finance a sale. I don't see why you wouldn't do that. A lot, of people, just, a lot of people don't know that the Packers don't have an owner. That's It is really weird. Yeah. Well, they do have a majority shareholder kind of who kind sure. of acts as owner, but mm-hmm. it's different. That's crazy. Anyways, on to my next one. Now, this one might be kind of dumb. I don't know how funny this one's going to be. You probably haven't even heard of this guy. This guy's name is Ruben Amaro Jr. He was a MLB player back in the 90s. He played He played for four different teams, but mostly for the Philadelphia Phillies. He played two separate stints there. He played from 1991 to 1998. He wasn't that great of a player. Like, he was in the major leagues, like, good enough to be a big leaguer, but he wasn't a star or anything. Sure. However, after Ruben Amaro Jr. retired with the Phillies, and I, the, the, the funny story is going to be his career trajectory, just to be clear, because I think he has the funniest career trajectory that I've ever seen. He was a player with the Phillies, immediately got hired upon retiring as their assistant general manager. So, he was a player, retires immediately. Immediately gets hired as the assistant general manager. Immediately. Immediately. <laughs> All right. Which is really weird. And I was looking at his story and I was trying to, because I thought he was like a scout for a year or half a year. And he might have been like kind of doing something. But pretty quickly, he became the assistant general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, he served in that role for 10 years as the assistant GM. So, assistant GMs in baseball, you do a lot because baseball, the number of players that you control is ridiculous. It's like 150 players between all the major minor league teams and the major league roster. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of really small transactions that go down there's a lot going on with baseball there's just, there's just a lot going on with it. it the football is easier to follow in terms of the transactions yeah because all the trades are always a two-team trade it's usually a player for draft picks yeah the salary cap is really straightforward in football and except for like the guaranteed money that's the biggest that's the most complicated aspect of it baseball there there's so much going on there's like you got your 25-man roster back then which it's a 26-man roster now and then you got your 40-man roster which expands a little bit and then you've got other guys and then you got to like option and like yeah, dude. designate them for assignment and trades and all this shit. So it's very complicated. Baseball is a very complicated sport th- to manage. That's, that's why I never really got into baseball because it, it's so complicated. <laughs> it is. Like, and I grew up in it. I was immersed in it. So I picked up on it all pretty quickly once I understood it. But it, there's a lot going on. And so I can't really describe it all. Sure. But an assistant GM, you got to be up to speed on all this shit because you're involved. You're thinking about.
about stuff. You're thinking about players. And then prospects, too. Like, the number one draft pick in a baseball draft might not even ever play in the big leagues. Right. And that's happened before. Like, the number one draft pick might not even sign with the team that drafts him. They might just go to college instead. Right. It's ridiculous. Anyways, he Ruben Amaro was an assistant general manager for the Phillies for 10 years before their guy left, and they named him the full-term general manager of the Phillies. Now, this happened in 2009, I believe. The Phillies had just won the World Series. They were on top of the baseball world, and between 2009 and 2011, they were like one of the best teams. So the first couple years of Ruben Amaro's tenure as a general manager, he was doing really well. Hmm. You know, they were winning games. They had like the best record in the franchise history. They won 102 games the one year, which is a lot for baseball. No shit. He was looking really good. I was like, wow, Ruben Amaro, he stepped right in. Now, he had it all laid out in front of him, basically. Right. But he was doing really well. Anyways, it wasn't without his problems, because he would make a lot of trades. Like, he'd trade away star players. He'd trade four star players. He'd do all this weird stuff that was like, wow, it's a big, splashy move, but is that really a good move? At one point, he gave a five-year, $125 million extension to a player named Ryan Howard, who was a first baseman. At that time, five years, $125 million was a whole lot of money. That was a ridiculous amount of money for a baseball player. It wasn't the biggest contract at the time, but it was close to it. It was like, holy shit. And Ryan Howard was over age 30, which is a problem. And he was a big, fat first baseman. And traditionally speaking, big, fat first basemen don't age well in the major leagues. Sure. Now, Ryan Howard also appeared in the office as himself in an episode <laughs> which was kind of funny but is that is that why you're wearing your scranton shirt i'm that why did that, that's just a coincidence hmm. but what's funny too is there's also a character in the office named ryan howard as well <laughs> so there jim was like oh i got a meeting with ryan howard today and they're like what why would you meet with that little twerp he's like no the baseball player <laughs> anyways he gave this guy five years 125 million dollars for over age 30 and already had injury problems he never played up close to this to this potential to the money that he was getting paid so it was a terrible deal baseball deals are always fully guaranteed so it was like Ruben why would you give this guy this contract right he also had another series and I'm not going to get into them but he had a series of deals and trades where he's always trading for old guys that were past their prime and he wasn't really doing anything with the talent that he was getting uh by three years into his tenure the Phillies had fallen off completely they weren't going to the playoffs anymore and they never went to the playoffs again after 2011 and there was like a pull out they pulled 10,000 Phillies fans to see what they thought of Ruben Amaro like 94% of them said that they wanted them fired immediately <laughs> at one point there was an article out that listed him as the worst general manager in baseball yeah, and the tough. reason why this name stands out is he would do a ton of interviews so i would read a lot of baseball articles back then you would see his name all the time ruben amara with the phillies ruben amara with the so phillies he liked being in front of the camera he liked being part of the mix basically sure and you don't like i knew a lot of the general managers but his name just always came up like what's he gonna what's he gonna do now basically but he's given guys like nine figure contracts at one point he fired their longtime manager charlie manuel after they just basically didn't get along after the one season basically so he was in charge he was running the organization <laughs> now it didn't take too long for them to fire him completely at the end of the 2015 season they decided to fire him they were like you know rooming <laughs> you pretty much run this franchise into the ground but think about it general manager from player to assistant general manager to general yeah, manager it seems like they made a uh, a rash decision there he needed to get fired he was terrible sure. now he didn't want to leave baseball though he wanted to get back into baseball now he had been a big time executive for a while he took a job the next season with the red sox as their first base coach <laughs> <laughs> so he went from signing guys to nine figure contracts giving them hundreds of millions of dollars trading players running the entire organization firing longtime managers <laughs> doing all this shit he went from that to the next season being wearing an actual baseball uniform out on the field and his job was basically, <laughs> okay, buddy, we got one runner on, we got one out. Uh, we're going to be putting the hit and run on today, so <laughs> you're going to be running on contact, dude. Now, first base coach, that's not a really that's not really a high-stress job. Third sure. base coach, there's a lot more decision-making being done because you got to 
guising. First base coach, you're basically telling the base runners what's going on, and you're grabbing their shit when they throw it at you. That's funny. So he went from being the general manager of the Phillies to the to first... The, to the bitch at, in Boston. <laughs> to the first base coach in Boston. Uh, I don't know why I find that so funny, but... That is funny. It's like... <laughs> That'd be like a GM in the NFL going to be the, the cornerback coach, basically. Basically, yeah. Think about that. Or not even that, or just like... Special teams coach. Yeah, like, it's like the special team, like the right. assistant special teams coach or something. Right. I'd be like Kevin Colbert going to play special teams in Pittsburgh. Exactly. <laughs> or Belichick, like, coaching tight ends for the Panthers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so I thought that was funny, Ruben Amaro, and I guess he he took more first base coach jobs after that, and Jeez. he ended up he ended up getting like a special assistant to the GM job, but he's never going to be in charge of the league again. He's so, only fifty six. So basically, he he did so shitty, he had to start back from the bottom <laughs> to work himself back up to be an assistant. GM. Yeah, at least he well, worked even, his way back up. Not even that. Special assistant is a two to four Tuesday through Thursday. Yeah, get a cup of coffee That's and funny. read a magazine in your cubicle job, basically. Anyways, Lord Almighty. So that that's my second one. Well, my second one. Um, if if you're not a big into baseball like me, you you probably don't know about this. But if you're a baseball fan, you obviously know about this. A lot of people know about this. Pat, you know about Doc Ellis? Probably. Seriously? I thought this would have been like, yeah, I told you about this years ago. Hmm. Doc Ellis on June 12, 1970. Doc Ellis did something that isn't easy to do in baseball, right? Which is pitch a no hitter. Sure. Now it's pretty rare. Like, is it? Now I don't watch baseball all the time. How rare is pitching a no hitter? Um, um, this year we've had like eight thrown this year, and this is a record. Okay, so pretty rare. Pretty rare. There's a lot the t- of games. The Tigers have been around for a hundred and. 15 years and they've had like nine total okay so it's pretty rare and there's 162 games a year per team yeah and you only have eight this year and that's yeah. a record something okay, like that so that's yeah. pretty it's pretty damn rare yes what's even more incredible is doc ellis pitched a no hitter tripping balls on acid <laughs> no shit <laughs> yeah. that's funny according to ellis he went to visit a friend in los angeles the day before the start and the visit turned into a night of a lot of drinking and doing drugs and apparently he lost track of what day it was now when he woke up the next morning thinking that he was going to pitch the next day. He had to pitch that day. Oh, shit. He dropped another thing of acid. <laughs> and he gets a call from a friend saying, dude, you got pitched in San-, in San Diego in two hours. Oh, my God. So he's like, shit. So he hops on a plane. He gets to San Diego 90 minutes before his game, and he pitches a no-hitter. <laughs> Hung over, probably didn't hardly have any sleep, tripping on acid. That is And he absurd. pitched a no-hitter. I've got to look that one up. I can't believe I haven't heard that one before. Here are some quotes from this guy. He says, he, at one point during the fourth inning, he thought Richard Nixon was the plate was the home plate <laughs> umpire. <laughs> <laughs> he said, at one point, he thought he was pitching to Jimi Hendrix, and he was using a guitar as the bat. Oh, my God. He remembers diving out of the way to a ball that, that wasn't hit hard and it got nowhere near him. He thought it was a line drive right towards him. I don't even... That's one of I can't the funniest you I've ever heard. I can't believe you ever heard of this. No. He, um, yeah, dude. And then he, he describes, like, he, he never even knew who he was pitching against. And from what I've read, pitchers, they have a lot of strategy depending on who they yeah. pitch against. Yeah. And he was like, I couldn't even tell who I was pitching against. Jesus All Christ. I noticed was whether they were on the right or the left side of the plate. Well, at least he knew <laughs> that much. That's hilarious. Yeah, that, that's basically all that. So so he threw a no-hitter on acid. And he, he ended up coming out with this, like, 10 years later or something yeah. like that. And he ended up, like... 
getting help because I guess he was pretty bad on the drugs. Sure. And he ended up being like a like a public speaker and going around. Well, and, that's good. Like, that's good. Yeah, but that, I thought that was absolutely insane. I, I've never heard of that ever. Yeah, it's not easy to do, throw a no-hitter shit. And, and you're tripping. And you're tripping balls. Time. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's funny. Anyways, I'm going to do another baseball one. Now, that I'm not going to be able to top that today, but I got another baseball one. And like you mentioned on your last episode or your last story, you don't pitch every day if you're a starting pitcher. Usually teams use a rotation of five guys. Mm-hmm. So you only pitch once a week or maybe twice a week. If your team, even if your team plays every day, you're only going to pitch twice a week if you're a starting pitcher. Sure. So back in 2016, the Chicago White Sox had a player by the name of Chris Sale who plays for the Red Sox now. And he just came back from injury after like being off for two years like this week. So Chris Sale is a lefty, really tall, lanky lefty. He was one of Tim's favorite players because Tim likes the song Sale by AWOL Nation. Mm-hmm. And if this guy was a relief pitcher and they played it as he was walking out, if they played Sale, it would be really cool. <laughs> but he's never, he's always been a starter, so they haven't really been able to do that. Anyways, back in 2016, this guy played for the White Sox. And he was a really good player, like a top of the end rotation, one of the best pitchers in the game for a while. Hmm. Kind of a weird personality, like like a punk. Sure. Like he would like, try to like, he'd be like saying that he wants to fight you a lot type of a thing. Okay. So this was 2016. He was scheduled to start on a Saturday in July against the Detroit Tigers, which is my favorite team. And right before the game started, like right before the game started, the Chicago White Sox announced that he was not going to be starting the game, which is weird. You never see a pitcher get scratched that late. You'll see guys get scratched at like one o'clock before a seven o'clock game. Like, oh, something's wrong with this guy. He's not going to start. They're going to have to start somebody else because the starting pitcher has to spend like all day getting ready. Like you got to warm up. You got to run. Yeah. You got to get yourself ready to go. You got to pitch a lot beforehand to get ready to go. So scratching your starting pitcher before, like right before the game starts is something that doesn't happen a whole lot. So everybody's like, well, why is Chris Sale not pitching? Why is the best pitcher in the game not pitching today? As the game started, the White Sox came out and released a statement that said that uh, he had been removed from the lineup and sent home due to a clubhouse incident. Oh my God. And they left it at that. Now the White Sox have been scheduled to wear throwback uniforms. You know what that is, where they wear uniforms from the old days. I guess they had a set of uniforms that they wore, they wanted to wear from 1976. Hmm. And the White Sox do this a lot. They wear a lot of different throwback uniforms. You never know what the hell they're going to come out there wearing. All sorts of ridiculous shit. And that's just been a thing with that team for a long time now. So they were scheduled to wear these throwback uniforms. And Chris Sale had asked the team not to do throwback uniforms on days that he pitched because he hated wearing the throwback uniforms. For whatever reason, he just didn't want to wear them. Now, he only pitched 20% of the game. So I guess if they really wanted to work around it, they probably could have worked around his starts with the throwbacks. They decided on this Saturday in July in 2016 that they weren't going to do it. He was going to have to wear the name uniform. (laughs) Chris Sale was taken out of the lineup for a clubhouse incident. The incident was when nobody was looking, he went through the clubhouse with a pair of scissors and destroyed every single jersey he oh could my get his God. hands on and just completely mangled all the uniforms. Because this guy, he didn't this guy ever get hit in the head with a baseball? Probably. Honestly, <laughs> probably. But he didn't want to wear the throwback uniform, so his solution to the problem is just destroy them. My word. Now he was getting paid millions of dollars at this point to pitch for the White Sox. Wear the damn jersey. Why he couldn't wear the damn jersey, I don't know. But it was just like really that that that's what it came to. What an idiot. So he ended up getting sent home home from the stadium and suspended for five games because of it like he probably just wanted some time off <laughs> he might have but the team suspended him their best player for five games because he destroyed the uniforms in the clubhouse my gosh could you imagine having to be like the the manager and the gm of this team having to deal with this shit Dude, like how low do you have to be to go that low to literally taking scissors you gotta you're gonna take scissors and cut everyone's jersey i don't know i feel this is gonna be a long episode but I don't that care. is absolutely hilarious. i think it's gonna be a good one we'll, 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 we'll be good we'll be good We'll good. We'll I only have like one or two more. All right. But anyways, that's Chris Sale destroying uniforms. Now, he hasn't done this again since then, so far as we know. I right. don't know if the Red Sox wear throwback uniforms a lot. I feel like they probably do. Probably. Honestly, I no, know. I don't I don't think they do because I feel like they've had the same uniforms for a while. Hmm. The White Sox are always 
just changing their fucking uniforms up, which is kind of hard to do considering they only wear white and black as their colors. Sure, they Anyways. have a they have a they have a really talented you know uh, person that decides you know what, what they're gonna wear and the different designs for their jerseys. I guess <laughs> I don't know. I'm not really into uniform designs. I don't really care. That guy's working overtime apparently. I guess, but they had to, they had to wear they had to wear backup uniforms that they just happened to have around for that game, <laughs> which was funny. Anyways, that's all I got for that one. So my next one, Pat, you know about this. You know about Bottlegate. Yes. And the reason I did Bottlegate is because nothing like this, from what I know, has ever happened. <sighs> like, this is absolutely insane. This is one of the worst days of my life. Like, this is so insane, this game. Nine-year-old so, me was so upset and so confused. Like, I have never seen anything like this ever again. I took it as a personal assault. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. So this is Bottlegate. Week 14 of the 2001-2002 NFL football season. Now, this was the third year after the Browns were in Baltimore. So they came back to Cleveland. This was the third year. They didn't come back. They got reactivated. Reactivated. As okay. an expansion franchise. Hmm. And they were given less than eight months to put everything together. They said the Browns are coming back. Eight months later, the draft was going to happen. The Texans got like two years to prepare. That's to crazy. hire their hire their coaches and general managers and everybody, the Browns got eight months. Now was the now the, the Texans used to be the Oilers, correct? No, or the they Texans got, the are Texans the, are just a new team. Are a new team. Okay, so maybe they did that with the Browns because like, all right, you're not a new team. You're, you're being reinstated. Well, the way that that works, and can, can I get into it real quick? Sure, it's very ahead. important. So the Browns were the Browns moved to Baltimore in nine, after the '95 season. The way that they were moved was ridiculous, and the city had a contract with the team and with the league to keep a team in Cleveland. The, basically, Art Modell moved the team due to some stadium bullshit. It was a ridiculous thing, and it was it was almost criminal the way that he was able to violate the contract and take the team to Baltimore. He promised the fans this, he promised the city this and that, and they had a contract in place that kept the Browns in Cleveland. He broke it anyways, and the NFL just kind of let him do it, and he moved the team to Baltimore. And most of the owners like disagreed with it. Like even Art Rooney was like adamant against like this. This is a, this is absurdity. How the sure. hell is this allowed to happen? Type of thing. And that's why Art Modell is the most cursed name for Browns fans today. Is <laughs> because the whole thing went down. It was a lot sure. of promises not kept, or in the middle of the night took the team to Baltimore. The way that the league came to an agreement with the city is the city took the lead to court and won. The city of Cleveland beat the NFL in court. Wow. Over this whole thing. That's cool. And the agreement was that the Browns franchise was going to remain in Cleveland. It was going to be deactivated for three years and reactivated prior to the 1999 season. The league dragged their feet getting the shit together so that the franchise could actually start because you can't just decide you're going to start a franchise and start a franchise. You have to find an owner. You have to have somebody buy it. Stadium, personnel, everything. They dragged their feet because they didn't want the clips. They were pissed off that the city of Cleveland beat them in court. (laughs) And that's why they dragged their feet trying to get the whole thing going. Okay. Which is why the Browns were so far behind for so long was they were given nothing to start with. They had to put together personnel in like less than a year right. to get this team started. They didn't have any time to scout for the expansion draft, to scout draft. They were still putting together the front office during the college football season in, the, in 1998. That's great. The draft happened in 1999 and they played. <laughs> Think about that for a second. You have to put together an entire franchise without having an off season. Right. That's incredible. So it's, it's, it's an absurdity. The reason I brought that up is because at this point they had a lot they have something to prove here. Yeah. And this game, they were six and six at the time. This is week fourteen. Sure. And the playoff picture was still alive for them. So they, they really were, they really needed to win. Yeah. And they were playing the Jaguars and they were already out of contention for the playoffs. Yes. So they were trying to basically be the spoilers for sure. the Browns. So the Browns were down fifteen to ten and three minutes remaining. The Browns pushed the ball all the way into um the deep red zone of the Jaguars. 
Jaguars. Sure. Now it's fourth and two on the Jags' 12. Yes. They completed a short pass to gain the first down. Yeah, they did. But the pass looked like it was bobbled a little bit, but on the field it was called a catch. Called a catch. Now the quarterback, they rushed to the line, and they spiked the ball. Yes. Stopped the clock. They snapped the ball, they ran the play. Yes, they snapped the ball, and they ran the play. The refs, for some reason, decided that they were going to review the first down catch. Terry McCauley. Terry McCauley. Fuck him. Now, for those who don't watch football, there is a rule in football that the referees cannot review a play if the play if a play is run right after that that play. Yes. Did I word that correctly? Correct. So once the, a new the, play the, starts, the blast play is it happened. It's set in stone. Yes, you can't change it. It can't be changed. It can't be reviewed. It can't be challenged. Nothing like that can happen. No timeouts were called. Nothing. No, no, they no ran, stopping of the clock. They, they ran the play. The refs spotted the ball so they could run the play. Whistled he, to he, go. Yeah. Or whatever the ready is, a whistle ready. I can't remember what the phrase so is. So the refs had no right to review this play. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. And they basically reversed the call. Yep. And the Browns fans went absolutely apeshit. And the Browns fans basically threw everything that they can grab their hands on. Yep. That wasn't their own personal item. And well, threw it onto the field. Some of them did throw their own personal items. Sure. Somebody threw a radio. But <laughs> <laughs> the reason it's called bottle gates because everyone was throwing their, you know, their pot bottles, their water bottles, their beer bottles. Beer bottles mostly. Everything and the, the, the like. If you go and watch videos and pictures, and it's look absurdity. at pictures. It's absolutely insane. The, the the field is completely littered. Yep. With all this shit. Yep. And if I remember correctly, the the team ended up going back into the locker room. Both teams went to the locker room because Terry McCauley came out there and called the end of the game. He yes. said that is the end of the game. With I don't yes. know how many minutes left, but he said that the game was over. Yeah, because the the field was all jacked up. It was, was covering bottles. Well, they ended up coming back it out into the field <laughs> and they finished. <laughs> The game. game and they gave the Jaguars the ball and they finished the which game. that is the is the most literally one of the most absurd things the that's most ever absurd happened. things that's ever happened and it, I don't think it's ever happened again since then no because which the is rules, a good thing the rules were set in stone back then. And the replay was out of the game for a while. It was around for a while. Then they took it out. Then they brought it back, and they were very clear about the rules of replay. They're like, once that snap happens, you whistle but, ready, the snap ball gets snapped. You cannot review a play. You cannot review a play. And I urge everyone to go and look up pictures of Bottle Game yeah. and look, watch videos of it because it's absolutely insane. Now, I have a personal connection to this one because I watched this game live. This was yeah. the first game that I remember watching. I remember sitting there just dumbfounded. Now, I didn't really know all the rules, but I was listening to the rules, and I was just like, how is this even allowed why were they allowed to review that play why and my father wasn't happy no he wasn't like that upset about it but but that's shitty it's like it was stupid given to everything pat just explained with the browns everything they went through they finally get their shit they got their team they're about they're trying to make the playoffs yeah with probably limited amount of good players that did cost them a playoff spot that year so yeah that's that's shitty it was terrible uh butch davis was a coach back then i still get angry about that i was like eight years old when that happened i still get angry today that was like 19 20 years ago unreal anyways that was a good one i'm kind of i'm sorry for one running kind no, of hijacking that story no you're good well, that's a personal one for me you good with that one yeah how, I'm many more, how many more do you got uh i could do one more all right i got two It'll more be quick i'll get two more in real quick and then i got kind of a goofy thing that sure. i want to run through at the end sure so we're gonna go back to baseball on this one and this is probably not a player you've ever heard of. The guy's name is Jesus Montero. He was a catcher from Venezuela. At his best, he was like a big league catcher. He played, he made his major league debut for the Yankees in 2011. And Jesus Montero was a young guy because he was a 21-year-old. He was a hot player. Like, man, Jesus Montero was a hot prospect. They thought he was 
going to be really good because he could hit. He was this big, fat Venezuelan guy, but he could hit and he could catch. And catcher is kind of a very valuable position in Major League Baseball. Sure. Not a lot of guys can get back there and actually catch. Now, he was not a good fielder. No, I do have a, I do have a question. Oh. Now, I know that the catchers, they do, they, they dictate what the pitcher is doing, right? To an extent. Like, I know the pitcher can, like, they can deny it. Yeah. That's pretty interesting to me. I, I never understood the strategy with all that. Yeah. I never looked at it. Now, catchers it. and pitchers have to, they have to, it's a, it's a team effort. Sure. But the catcher gives a sign, and usually the catcher is supposed to lead the game. Like, if you got a young pitcher out there and a veteran catcher, the catcher puts a sign down, the pitcher pitches it. Okay. Now, if it's an established pitcher, they might you might see them nodding it off. Ideally, you want the catcher and the pitcher in sync, because he's got to set up to where the pitch is going to be, and he knows the batters just as well as the pitcher does. Okay. He's, yeah, he's they'd equally, have to be. The catcher is equally involved in the pitching game. Yeah. So you need somebody kind of smart back there. That makes sense because sometimes you'll see the the, the, the catcher kind of move to yeah. one side. Yeah. F- yeah, okay. Anyways, it is very interesting. But Montero wasn't really good at that part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he could hit though. And with the Yankees, he had he debuted in 2011, and he had like one month late in the season where he was just crushing the ball. And you can see highlights of him hitting home runs and him doing like he hit the home run. You go back to the dugout, and the crowd wants a curtain call, so you have to go up and you have to wave your helmet at them. Yeah. Like he did that with the Yankees. It was kind of like, oh man, this Jesus Montero guy is about to be a big time player. But after that season, the Mariners decided that they wanted Jesus Montero. The Yankees needed pitching, so they shipped Jesus Montero away to the Mariners for a pitcher who I could also talk about on this podcast because he's a complete character Michael Pineda but I'm not going to get into him sure. but they traded the Yankees traded Montero to the Mariners with the Mariners he struggled he wasn't nearly the player they thought he was going to be he wasn't hitting as well he couldn't field at all he was terrible as a catcher and uh, at one point there was a scandal called the biogenesis scandal I don't know if you've heard about this one it was like steroids but like new era steroids where it was like like you would take these like gummies and it would like enhance your like hitting ability for like a few hours or something Damn. it was it was, okay. it was it was performance enhancing drugs but it wasn't really steroids it was more of a it's just like a pick me up like a, basically like a quick energy like i don't want thing. i don't want to say adderall but i think adderall is probably part of it sure cocaine but <laughs> maybe but these different players were getting involved in this and jesus montero was involved in it and he got a 50 game suspension which is pretty significant 50 games that's a lot but 50 games is a standard performance dancing drug suspension for baseball players i think nfl it's four games usually for your first offense in baseball they don't mess around anymore so you got a 50 game which is a third of the season suspension by 2014 montero really hadn't lived up to the hype as a major league baseball player and by 2014 he showed up to major league camp weighing 275 pounds which is a lot for a guy at 6'3 he was supposed to weigh about 230 so he's about 40 45 pounds overweight like what what are you doing dude you're you're 20 i think he's 24 at the time yeah that's big like i'm not even well i guess i probably am about that big but i'm not a professional athlete exactly you're an athlete dude so (laughs) he only played in six major league games that year but he spent most of the time in the minors now he got hurt in the minors and got sent even lower to rehab so he was in single A Everett, which I don't even know where that's at. Everett. I'm not sure. But he was playing for the Everett Aqua Sox. <laughs> Aqua, Aqua, a- Sox. Aqua, Aqua Sox. Aqua Sox. What? All right. And he wasn't even playing in this game. He was just coaching first base. And the Mariners had down in Everett one of their guys who was a scout and kind of like a like a cross checker. Just kind of a guy that works for the like the big club, but keeps an eye on what's going on down in the minor leagues. Sure. Because they control all those players. You gotta kinda keep an eye on what's going on. Just see if somebody's doing well or what's going on. And they had a guy down there named Butch Bacala who worked for the Mariners but was just kind of he was in the stands, like a scout in the stands. And he spent the day heckling Jesus 
Montero, who was coaching first base. Jesus Montero wasn't even playing. Now, bear in mind, this was a big, fat catcher who hadn't lived up to anything. Coaching first base on a rehab assignment in single A. It's a ridiculous scenario if That's you know funny. baseball. Sure. So this guy would, was, this Butch Bacala guy was heckling him all day. Like, he would, like, walk off the, the field after the inning, and the guy would yell, Rapido, Rapido, like shit <laughs> like that, trying to get him to hustle off the field. And at one point, Bacala ordered an ice cream sandwich and had it sent to the dugout to Jesus Montero. <laughs> And Jesus Montero had been visibly like agitated by this guy all day because he'd been heckling him and he's not even playing in the game, he's just coaching first base. Montero takes a sandwich in one hand and a bat in the other and runs up to the stands and is looking, looking, looking. He finds Butch Bacala and he spits at him and he threatens him with the bat and he takes the ice cream sandwich and he whips it at him. Damn, that's funny. Is this on video? <laughs> I wish. It's not on video, but there are, there are a lot of reports from this game about it. And Bacala claims he wasn't trying to provoke Jesus Montero, but... Sure. Sure, exactly. And the Mariners are a dumpster fire of an organization these days. Like, their general manager got fired this year because he was on a video conference with a Rotary Club, and he told the entire plans, the entire team's plans to this Rotary Club. I can't. Like, he was like, well, well, this guy should be in the big leagues, but we're going to hold him back so that we can get an extra year out of him out of his contract, basically. <laughs> like, shit like that. Oh, boy. Anyways, Montero got suspended for the rest of the season because of this, and he only had, like, 25 hits in the big leagues after that, and he's been well <laughs> out of the game at this point. Could have been one of the best catchers ever. Had, like, all everything that you could have wanted. Sure. But he got pissed off at the scout for sending him an ice cream sandwich, and he whipped it at him during the game. During the game. That's so funny. That reminds me of that Seahawks player. There's, I forget who it is, but... He he was, I think he was ejected from a game and a fan threw a drink at him and he like ran up on the fan to the stands. He threw, he, he then he threw another one at him at the Seahawks player. So it's like Meta World Peace again or Ron Artest. Yeah, kind of. I guess you could say that. That's I'll, funny. I'll have to look that one up. That's funny. Yeah, that's so funny. The Seahawks player? Yeah. Well, I guess Seattle. I mean, shit. I guess it's just what goes down in Seattle. Yeah, they're crazy out there. Anyways, uh, what do you, you got one more? I got one more. It's pretty well known. I wasn't going to do it at first, but I'll just get it over with since I wrote it down. You ever heard of Bobby? Knight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bobby Knight's a character. He was nicknamed the General. Now, this guy, he was a um, uh, NCAA basketball coach. Yep, and college he's, basketball. He's one of the most successful ever. Yep. He had 902 Division One wins, which is, at the time he retired, was first all-time, but now it's like fourth all-time. That's a lot of wins, though. His total record is 902 and 371, so that's a pretty damn good win percentage. Okay. So, he's known for his good coaching career, but he's also known for throwing a lot of temper tantrums during, during games. Yes. And he's known for his face getting extremely red when he gets <laughs> yeah. pissed off. So he started out at Army, 1965 to 1971. The majority of his career, he's known for coaching the Indiana Hoosiers from 1971 to the year 2000. Yep. So that's a long time. And then he coached Texas Tech from 2001 to 2008. Wow, yeah. So he coached from 1965 to 2008. That's a, that's a long lot of time, time yeah. No shit. Coach. As we know, the guy, a lot of temper tantrums during games, and uh, refs know, the, the refs would know to like keep their distance from him because he was he was a very aggressive guy. Exactly. His most famous his most famous moment was in 1985 while he was coaching Indiana while playing Purdue in a really big Big Ten game. Yep. The Hoosiers were losing. They were at home and in the course of 59 seconds, there were three fouls called on Indiana. Okay. And Which that's a lot in basketball. Yeah, that is a lot. And Knight started, obviously Knight didn't like that. So he started yelling at the refs and immediately he got called for a technical foul. Sure. He did not like this and in a fit of rage, he went back to the bench, he grabbed a chair and he just hurled <laughs> this thing across 
across the court. Yeah. And it is absolutely hilarious. And he gets ejected, obviously. And what I what I thought was amazing was as he was walking out, and he walked right through the middle of the court. Like, he didn't walk around the court. Of course he didn't. He walked right through the middle of the court so yeah. everyone could see him walking out. And the and the crowd just went, they just went apeshit for him. I mean, the, the applause was absolutely yeah. hilarious. He's walking out. He didn't look at anyone. He didn't wave. He just walked out. And it was absolutely, it was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. You don't see a lot of that with coaches, coaches flipping out. Throwing, like the, coaches literally threw a chair. And I think it hit like a camera man on the other side <laughs> the guy caught it but it like it reached him like that's how far yeah. he threw it it's pretty funny anyway so that was a great story bobby knight bobby we, knight we could do an entire episode on him honestly sure i do have one more basketball one though and then i got sure. a funny thing to do after that so i used to watch a lot of ohio state basketball my dad used to be really into it i guess basically one year when i was like a 13 year old my dad got tickets for christmas from my, one of my uncles mm, nice to go to a game and we went to the game we got really into it and we got hooked on it and we were like following ohio state basketball ever since then we knew all the players we would follow all the players and my father would follow all the recruits a lot so we knew a lot about ohio state basketball now they had some good players like mike connelly i don't know if you ever heard that name he plays for the name. i think he plays for the jazz now at one point mike connelly was the highest played player in nba history at one point for one year it was just, just the way that the contracts work sure NBA contracts that's crazy so though. weird and just the basically he played for the grizzlies and they wanted to sign him to an extension and just the way that it all worked out they could pay him more via the rules than anybody else could get paid just how it worked out so one year mike connelly was the highest played player <laughs> anyways they had a lot of guys like greg odin uh, i remember that jared sullinger played in the nba for a while evan turner played for the nba for a while costa kufis played for a I while i kind of remember that team a little bit yeah and they had a bunch of different guys coming in and out one of the guys that my dad was talking about before he even got there was a player by the name of john diebler now john diebler played at upper sandusky in ohio i don't know if you've ever heard of that area mm-hmm. it's not terrible i guess it's not terribly far from where we're at sure now that's a small school though and this john diebler guy dominated that conference like he would score like 70 points a game 80 points a game Jeez. he was just the entire team and he was a great player for them and that's pretty high scoring for high school for high school but it was a small school so it was just like you didn't have you had like farmers basically playing basketball so this guy could play a little bit he's six six guard so he was able to score really well but he went to ohio state as well and he was one of those guys who like he was my favorite player but he's also really easy to dog like he'd be like come on john Deaver, what the hell are you doing dude sure a lot there's a lot of that because he would have his games where he'd be on where he'd be hitting his threes all day he'd have games where he couldn't he couldn't hit a barn if he tried <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't really play defense, but he was still a six-six guard. He was still okay. And he, but he started 115 games for Ohio State over his four seasons, which that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot of basketball games. And he had some records for them for a while, like most three-pointers for a while. I don't know if that record still stands, but at one point he could shoot really well. He played from 2007 to 2011. That's the time that he spent at Ohio State. Hmm. He was never really one of the best players in the country. And the team was always good, but it was never like championship good. Sure. But he played his whole four years there. Now in 2011, after he became a senior it was like well what does John Diebler do now because he wasn't really good enough for the NBA you could kind of tell that he just wasn't good enough however the Portland Trailblazers drafted him in the second round in 2011 <laughs> 51st overall now I don't know do you pay attention to the NBA at all not really draft not picks at all not anymore basically if you're picked one through five you're good like pick one to pick five after that it kind of gets a little dicey like usually first round picks are going to at least make the team sure but you could be a first round pick and not have a career or just not be good enough for the NBA Sure. There are only two rounds in the draft. Second round picks are hit and miss. Usually more misses than makes. Like you're just picking whoever you think is going to make the team. Usually if you're a second round pick, you're probably not going to make the team. You're usually not going to get a fully guaranteed contract coming out. You're not, you got to really work your way in. Sometimes a second round pick becomes a good player. Usually that's not the case. Usually you want to be picked in the top 10 to really have a good chance of being a great NBA player. Anyways, John Dealer was picked 51st overall by the Portland Trailblazers. Now he never signed with them. He didn't, 
I guess he just didn't think he was going to have a shot. So he was just like, well, if I'm not going to make the team, why bother? Because it was like, well, he can shoot, but he can't really play defense. Would you really, could he, he didn't really project well as an NBA player. Mm-hmm. Now I would have signed if I was saying just so that you have the chance just to find out. He decided to go play in Europe for a while. And I think he still is out there playing today. I think he's in his thirties now. I think he's still at least under contract with somebody. Now what makes this guy ridiculous is even though he never signed, he got traded twice. A guy who never signed, let alone played in the game, got traded twice. On July 20th, 2012, Portland traded away the draft rights to John Diebler in a three-team trade to the Houston Rockets. <laughs> so this was 2012. So this was a year after he got drafted. He didn't sign, but they traded his draft rights away anyways. This was in 2012. So he graduated college in 2011. In 2012, he gets traded to the Rockets. He didn't sign for them either, but if he wanted to play in the NBA, he would have had to have signed and played with the Rockets because they owned his draft rights. So they held on to those draft rights until 2019. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, because the Rockets signed Carmelo Anthony. I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah. They were hoping that he was going to be part of like their core. And this was towards the end of Carmelo Anthony's career, but they were hoping he was going to be kind of a big player for them. He still plays. He still plays. The Lakers now, right? I think so. I think that's who he signed with. But he was with the tra- he ended up with the Trailblazers for a while. He kind of revived his career as a bench player. He's not a star anymore, but he's, he's okay. Sure. But he did not work out for the Rockets, and they had to get rid of him. <laughs> so, and in the NBA, there's a lot of trades where you're just tr- you're trading away salary. You're trying to get rid of the salary, basically. So sometimes there are teams that can just like acquire salaries, and usually you send other things with the player that they're acquiring so that they can just kind of take take the contract away from you, but you're giving them like a pick or something to make it sure. worth their while. It's really weird how the NBA works with that. Anyways, they decided they had to get rid of Carmelo Anthony, the Rockets did, so they traded him to the Bulls. As part of this trade, they also threw in the draft rights to John Keebler. <laughs> Jeez. This was eight years after he got drafted. He never signed. He never showed any intention of ever playing NBA basketball. He had been a part. He'd been his rights have been owned by the Rockets for six and a half, almost seven years without is, is anything, he, without anything happening. And all like, of a sudden, is he getting paid? No, he's not getting paid. He never signed anything. That's a, somehow. <laughs> To make this trade work between the Bulls and the Rockets, John Diebler's draft rights, a guy that had no intention of ever playing basketball in the NBA, got shipped from the Rockets to the Bulls. <laughs> this was eight years after he last played in college basketball. That's insane. Like, why? Why? <laughs> why? What, what is he doing in the meantime? He's just playing in Europe. He's happy playing over there. Oh, that's funny. They're just hoping that maybe he might come back. But somehow somebody decided, we need John Diebler's draft rights. Either they wanted to get rid of them, <laughs> or somebody for the Bulls decided, hey, we'll take Carmelo Anthony, but you have to give us a draft rights for John Diebler. <laughs> now, there is no database out there, at least that we have access to, to look up who owns the draft rights to all these other players. Because I was looking. I wanted to see if there was a database out there. Like, you know how you can look up what draft picks teams have and whatever? Mm-hmm. I can't even find this anywhere on the internet. So somehow, somebody for the Bulls knew that the Rockets have the draft rights to John Diebler, and they asked for that as part of the trade. For what? Is he? Do they still own it? They still own it. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, we might see <laughs> maybe, him. Maybe he comes back. Oh, that's hilarious. I don't know why I find that funny. But it's funny, too, because John Diebler is a player that my dad was talking about when he was, like, a 16-year-old kid. Right. Because he's like, man, this John Diebler guy has been going to Ohio State in a few years. He has scored another 75 points for Upper Sandusky, and he got shipped away in the Carmelo Anthony <laughs> trade. That's funny. And neither neither player ended up actually ever playing for the Bulls. So That's funny. That's funny. Anyways, you got any more crazy sports stories? Nope, that's it for me. I got something kind of funny that I want to do. Sure. You ever look up some of the craziest sports injuries of all time? No, I've never looked it up, but I, I know about a couple funny injuries. So I got... I got a handful. Do you care if I get into them real quick? Sure. This is going to be a long-ass episode, but I think I think it's going to be worth it. So, in his second year with the NFL, with the Texans, Jadavion Clowney got bit by a dog. <laughs> it was owned by teammate G- DJ Swearinger. I don't know if you remember him. Sounds familiar. DJ Swearinger also sold Jadavion Clowney's truck that year. 
<laughs> so Clowney got bit bit by his dog by a teammate's dog. That's hilarious. And he had to go to the hospital because of that. That's rough. A lot of these are baseball injuries, but these are funny. So there's a pitcher for the Cubs for a while named Carlos Sombrano. I don't know where he was from, but he was this big, fat, like Latin American guy, flamethrower. But he could hit like he had a, he was a really good bat. But he had a huge temper. Like he would get in the fights with his own teammates a lot. Just a complete, just a complete loose cannon. In 2005, he got injured, and his injury was right elbow soreness. The cause of injury was listed as excessive computer use. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Well, you draw your own conclusions on that one. But Carlos Zambrano had elbow soreness because he was on the computer too much. Oh, boy. Okay, so Ricky Henderson, have you ever heard that name? Hall of Fame baseball player. He played for like 25 years or something. He had Damn. he led the league in stolen bases. I think he's got the most career stolen bases. Super fast guy. He could hit. He could run. I think he had over 3,000 hits. Hall of Fame player. He could play the field. Really good player. Dumber than the boxer rocks. Like, yeah, he got a million dollar signing bonus and a check once, and he put it in a frame, and he got upset when the money wasn't in his bank account because he just framed the check without taking it to the bank. Oh, my God. Dumber than Box Rocks. <laughs> Anyways, in 1992, when he was playing for the Toronto Blue Jays, in the middle of summer, he got frostbite <laughs> because he fell asleep with an ice pack. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot. Okay, here's another baseball player. Glenn Allen Hill in 1990, again with the Blue Jays. Shit, he might have been teammates with Ricky Henderson, probably know. He suffered several severe cuts because of a vivid spider-related nightmare. That's Somehow funny. he had a dream about spiders and he ended up cutting himself. That happens, though. And I guess part of the dream, he, like I said, he fell through a through a glass table. Oh, but shit. that one's ridiculous. Okay, here's one for you. Joel Zumaya for the Detroit Tigers. Now, this is one of my favorite players. I think I saw this guy pitch a few times. I think Josh even liked this guy. Hmm. He was a flame-throwing relief pitcher. In 2006, which they went to the World Series that year, but this was, but this would have been after. No, this would have been during the playoffs. He went down with right wrist inflammation. <laughs> Want to know the cause of injury on this one? Oh gosh, playing too much Guitar Hero. <laughs> <laughs> He did actually come back and pitch in the World Series, though. Another baseball player. This guy's got the most ridiculous name ever. Milton Bradley, (laughs) who was a complete, just a complete train wreck of a career. Like, I'm surprised this guy's still alive. In 2007, Milton Bradley played for the San Diego Padres. He tore his ACL after being tackled by his own manager after he was arguing a call. So his own coach ran out there and tackled him because he was arguing with an umpire over a call. And he tore his ACL. (laughs) That's funny. And real quick, this list comes from complex.com. Most of this comes from complex.com. Can we can we add the Nate Burleson injury? Oh, he got he 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 broke his arm because he was driving and a pizza fell. He was trying to catch it and he crashed his car. Yes, yes. And like I got friends that I text a lot. I don't know if like I'm going to get pizza, I was just like, hey, I almost had a Nate Burleson incident coming home picking up the pizza. So that was Nate Burleson. Yeah. So here's another guy. This guy used to play for the Tigers as well. Well this one happened well before then. Steve Sparks in nineteen ninety four played for the Milwaukee Brewers. He dislocated his non-throwing shoulder, which is a good thing for a pitcher. He was trying to rip a phone book in half. <laughs> now, according to this thing, I guess Steve Sparks dislocated his uh, his non-throwing shoulder like 15 times in his life. And this guy used to play for the Tigers. He threw a knuckleball, which is where you grip it like this. Yeah. yeah. And it, that means there, there's no spin, right? That's the goal. Now, a lot of guys can't really do it that well. But if a perfect knuckle, knuckleball doesn't spin at all. That's crazy. And when it doesn't spin, it just kind of goes with the air. That's crazy. So the air can push it wherever it wants to, basically. Right. So... Anyways, here's one. Are you familiar with Charles Barkley? Yes. In 1994. Now, I don't know if he missed a game because of this, but he was playing for the Phoenix Suns. The injury... was blurred vision and the cause was that he rubbed lotion in his eyes <laughs> at an Eric Clapton concert. Oh my gosh. 
Think about that for a second. I don't know if he missed the game because of that or not, but see when I when I go to a concert, the lotion isn't the first thing. It's not I, the first I think thing I would about do. Taking. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that Charles Barkley's an Eric Clapton fan, but shit. Who I guess who Eric, isn't? Eric Clapton's pretty awesome. Who isn't an Eric Clapton fan? You know he's actually um, having a show. In Is he Nashville. really? Yeah. It's no shit. I thought he was about to be done for a while, but I guess he's back. Apparently, he's one of my favorites. He's, do, he's doing three shows here in the, in the states. Okay, that'll be good. Yeah. I'm not gonna go, but I'd like to go. I wish. Yeah. Here's one for you, Kurt Rod. Foot. I've never heard of this guy before. I guess he played for the Texas Rangers in baseball. Back in 2009, he burned his face after an egg he was microwaving exploded. <laughs> Come on. I guess he was out of action for a while because of this. No shit. Okay, here's a guy for you. Remember we were talking about those expansion era Browns? Hmm. Here's a player from those days. Orlando Brown Sr., who, you know his son, Orlando Brown Jr.? Hmm. You know you know his son for the Chiefs? He played for the Re- Ravens, Lyman. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. this is his dad. No, no shit. Now, Zeus Brown is what he was known as back then. He's dead now. He died uh, a, while, a little while back. Damn. Now, this is the, the one of the stupidest injuries of all time, and I think that this was orchestrated by the league. He went partially blind in his right eye after the ref, a referee threw a flag and hit him in the eye during a game. Are you kidding me? He missed several years because of this. He was able to get back into the league later on, but that ended his career with the Browns. This was uh, in December of 1999. That's terrible. It was ridiculous, and that's, like, you can't really blame him. Like, usually these are people doing stupid things. Yeah. They threw a flag at Zeus Browning. Why did they throw it at him? Because the refs were being an idiot. Now, this wasn't, like, an accident? Like, you think they intentionally did I this? I think so. I you think, think part you, of the, I th- you think there's a conspiracy here? Yes. I think I, I think there's a broader Browns conspiracy theory that <laughs> Bottlegate plays into. I think this was a smaller part of it. Yeah. And he, was, he was their left tackle. He's a great player. Taken out because the ref threw a flag at him and hit him in the eye and partially blinded him. It's absurd. Yeah. Here's one for you. This guy's name is Glenn Healy. He was a goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs of hockey, NHL. In 2000, he saw suffered hand lacerations after he cut himself changing the bag on his bagpipes. <laughs> his bagpipes? His bagpipes. I guess he needed a hobby, and he was also a backup goalie, so he was only playing like once a week anyways. He had to do something to keep himself entertained, and he played the bagpipes. It took 40 stitches to clear to close up his wounds. Damn. That's that's ridiculous. That's funny. Okay, here's one. Brent Main uh, played for the Kansas City Royals of Major League Baseball. In 2002, he suffered back spasms, which is a common baseball injury, by the way, after checking for traffic before crossing a street. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how that one happens. Ugh. And then my final sports injury, and this was one of my favorite players. Well, I don't know. Favorite is a strong word. He was kind of like John Diebler. He was like one of your favorite players, but he also ragged on this guy a lot. True. He played for the Tigers for a while, and he played for the minor league teams for a while. And I even met this guy in person. Hmm. Brandon Inge, who is a third baseman slash catcher slash outfielder for the Tigers for a while. He played there for a while. He made an all-star team even at one point. He strained an oblique in 2008 after fluffing his daughter's pillow <laughs> i remember when this one came out and it was just like really and an oblique strains a serious injury for a baseball sure. player because baseball is still mechanically heavy it's not like football where you can go out there and play baseball if your swings off you're not you're, you're worthless right so if your muscles aren't good to go you're not gonna be able to do anything right brandon inge fluffed his daughter's pillow and <laughs> strained an oblique so doing that so that those are my sports injuries that's funny we can, there, do, we can do a whole episode on sports injuries there are so many more <laughs> those are the best ones that i could find off the top of my head that's funny do you have anything else for sports related injuries i'm basically i'm basically all set and we don't have the topics this week so i, I i'm sorry i forgot the damn topics do you want to just pick one real quick uh I'm trying to remember what we had written down we gotta do one of yours i can't remember what you had written down either so there's gonna be no drawing this week unfortunately sorry about that guys we may as well just do aliens 
Part 6. Aliens Part 6. Let's do it. Aliens Part 6. So, <laughs> episode 45. 45. I guess it's a good number. I guess it's a good number. Uh, and we might be drinking some Colt 45s on that episode. We sure will. For Aliens Part 6. You got, do you want to kind of frame it up real quick? I was thinking, and we don't have to do this if you don't want to, but like the most convincing like alien stories out there. Sure. Like ones that you're like, man, that sounds real. Right. You know for what I mean? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Most convincing alien stories. Yeah, for sure. Aliens Part 6. All right. And real quick, I don't know if any of your listeners watch Netflix at all, but there's a new documentary on Netflix, like UFO Top Secret Files or something. Is that the one you or told U- me to watch? UFO Declassified. Or, it's like UFOs Declassified or something. Is that the one I started? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's, it's pretty like, good. It's like a six-part documentary. It's only, I think the episodes are like 45 minutes long. It's not the best, but it's worth watching because it's a very good summary of all the shit that we've talked about. And I swear to God that those guys should have been citing us as a source on that <laughs> because they literally talked about a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, especially in episodes two and three no of the shit. Alien series. I gotta go back and listen to our Alien series. Yeah, they were pretty good episodes, but I feel like they, they covered a lot of the stuff that we covered. So Shit. And it's funny because that, that documentary has all the people on it. It's got Jeremy Corbell on it. It's got George Knapp. They talk about Bob Lazar. It's got a lot of those unacknowledged guys like Stephen Greer is at least featured on it. A lot of people featured on Unacknowledged appear on it as well. So it's a pretty good documentary all things considered. Nice. But it's got a lot of the stuff that I haven't seen on a documentary before that I think is interesting stuff. If you guys want to watch that one, that might be a good prep for Aliens Part 6. Definitely. Anyways, before we get out of here, do you want to get an update on the listens? Let's do it. We did crack 1900 this week. We're at 1909. Nice. Uh, it wasn't a terrible week. It wasn't our best week, but we've got like 20 active people hitting the show every week, so that's that's okay. Nice. We got to get this up a little bit. I think we should we'll, do an we'll av- get it up. We're gonna. I think we should do a challenge. What's that? Can we hit 2,000 listens? Yes. By next week. We can. I think we can. Everybody out there that's listening, please share the show with everybody you can. We just want to get 2,000 hits. We got to get 91 this week. Check out our Facebook page, our Twitter. Check us out. Twitter. Tweet us at 30 in the. Tweet us at 30 in the if you uh, have any bizarre sports moments that we didn't talk about on the show. Yes, and there's so many more. We could do we could do this episode again sometime. And if you, there's so much shit out there. And if you guys know any interesting topics you guys want us to research and talk about, let us know that too. We'll, yes. we'll talk about anything. If you want to add something to our drawing next week, which we're probably going to try to do the drawing again next week. Yeah, that's my fault, any, guys. Guys, guys. Have any topics you want to add, please submit them and we'll add them into the thing. But on that note, I think we're about ready to get out of here. So Peace. Anyways, what kind of news you got today? All right, I'm going to... We probably so, have the same news stories this week. This is So this is out of our favorite country of China. God damn it, I think I got this one. <laughs> when residents of Eastern Chinese... Of, of the... Cut. This is from allthatsinteresting.com. Okay. When residents of the Eastern Chinese city of Hangzhou were recently given strict orders to remain indoors, the news actually was nothing to do with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Instead, this was a much different kind of threat facing locals. Three leopards had escaped from the Hangzhou Safari Park, and they had been roaming around freely for weeks. You know that I did this story like 10 episodes ago, right? You did? Yeah. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. God. <laughs> what was the date on that? I don't know. Why? May 17th? Why did it come up now? <laughs> oh, no. I thought... <laughs> All right. Well, scratch that. Yeah, that was um... on the on the haunted, the haunted places <laughs> episode, which that was a terrible episode. And nobody listened to that one. Shit. It probably... Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, scratch that. Go ahead with your news story. Son of a bitch.
Okay, I'll get started with the news, I guess, this week. 